This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here, and welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat, a live presentation for you tonight. Jeremy Pruitt is going to join us uh, here in just a little bit to talk about the upcoming games around the SEC, the Georgia games as well. Recapping Kirby today, very interesting disclosure that Stetson Bennett was bothered by the shoulder. Now, Kirby made it a point that Stetson practiced, and he didn't think he was bothered a whole lot. But when I look at the numbers, I look at the passing numbers that George has had of late, especially the deep ball, I think this has been a problem. I think we're on to something. I know Michael Carvel uh, has a graphic that we want to put up. I just posted a story about this, about the hole in the Georgia offense that I believe is holding the dogs back. And I think teams have adjusted. You know, you watch these games and you see these teams crowd the line of scrimmage, play press coverage on the outside. And you've heard Kirby say, hey, we've got to win some of these one-on-ones. Well, he's talking about the receivers beating the one-on-one press coverage on the outside or somebody getting loose inside. And then when they do beat it, Stetson's got to be able to connect. Now, I think Stetson Bennett has been bothered by that shoulder. A couple games we've seen him rotating it, and it's pretty clear to me that he looks a little bit off on the deep throws. You can see again when we have this graphic up here. Right now, Hendon Hooker, for example, at Tennessee – has 571 yards passing on deep balls, balls that are thrown further than 20 yards downfield. You've got to go all the way down 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Stetson, 13th in the league with only 181 yards on passes that are thrown more than 20 yards downfield. He's 7 of 23 for 181 with one touchdown and an interception on those deep balls, that's going to affect how defenses play. If they don't think you can beat them with the deep ball, that enables that safety to creep a little bit closer up to the line. It enables teams to play a little bit tighter on the outside because they're saying, you know what, we don't think you can beat us deep. And until you do, we're not going to loosen things up. Again, part of this, part of this is, I believe, Stetson's shoulder. But also remember, A.D. Mitchell, who caught that beautiful 39, 40-yard fade in the national championship. He's been out since the start of game three. Lad McConkey's been out there, but Lad's had a foot. He's been missing that top gear, and George Pickens is in the NFL right now. So who does that leave you to catch those deep passes? You say, well, Mike, you know, Brock Bowers had a 70-some yard, but well, he did, but that ball was only thrown 18 yards. The rest of that Bowers did after the catch. In fact, That's the only pass play of more than 40 yards for Georgia through the first half of the season. So these are things that, you know, Todd Munkin's got to scheme up. He might try to use different formations. Sometimes you'll see him bunch those receivers together and cross up those DBs when they come out, whether they crisscross or somebody slides underneath. Sometimes you'll see him try to slide a a running back out of the backfield. But part of it, Stetson's been off. Kirby pointed out there were three throws, Oscar Delp, Lad McConkey, Brad Brock Bowers. If Stetson puts it on him, big chunk plays, but he's having trouble throwing that deep ball and also Georgia missing some deep threats. You've also got to wonder a little bit about the protection. Now, Kirby pointed out, I asked him, I said, well, coach, in the fourth quarter, you were finally able to get that pass game on track against Auburn. He said, well, we were able to run the ball. Right now we're talking about last year's attack. 
where Georgia powered the ball and teams had to respect it. And then they would go play action and throw the deep ball. Well, they're struggling a little bit. We haven't seen the same sort of run blocking as we did a little bit, uh, as we did as much last year. Now, I think part of that is Jamari Salyer and Justin Schaefer have moved on. I mean, those are NFL linemen. Those are veterans. Those were some serious people, movers. Those guys aren't there anymore. You're breaking in new offensive guards. I don't think Tate Ratledge has been quite as dominant as maybe Georgia hoped. Remember, he was out all year with that foot injury. He's knocking the rust off. And then on the other side, uh, Xavier Truss and Devin Willick, neither one of these guys, I don't think have been as effective as Justin Schaefer. Also, a lot more linemen in their playing. Now, Kirby says he doesn't think that that affects uh, their ability to, to synchronize. I think he's managing players, getting them snaps because he doesn't want guys hitting the portal. Marius Mims says, play me or trade me, coach. I guarantee you a conversation was had that if, if Marius comes back, that he's going to get some opportunities. You look at that snap count in the last game, and his numbers were very similar to Warren McClendon. Not quite as many as the three-year starter, but I believe about 10 snaps less. And you'll see some other snaps in there. Some other players are splitting time. We saw Warren Erickson with some snaps in that game as well. The only lineman I believe that played all the snaps was uh, Broderick Jones at left tackle. I need to double check on Cedric Van Pran, but you're seeing a lot of different moving pieces on the line. I don't think the offensive line play has been as good. We talked about uh, the lack of dynamic playmakers on the outside with A.D. Mitchell being out the last few games, Pickens onto the NFL and McConkey having a foot. Who does that leave on the outside? And teams are attacking Brock Bowers. Uh, they're double covering Brock. And sometimes when Brock runs into zone, it almost looks like there's three guys on him. And you heard Connor ask that question today. And it's not that that's a, a triple cover, but there are three defenders around him. So I understand why it creates that illusion. All people are paying a lot of attention to Brock Bowers. So uh, a lot of things going on with the Georgia offense. The good news is that Vanderbilt's up next, and they are the worst pass defense in the Power 5 ranks. They've given up more yardage in, through the air than any program in the nation except for the Ohio Bobcats, and Frank, Frank Solich isn't coming out that tunnel anytime soon to make that a formidable Mid-American Conference team. So you're the good break for Georgia, they're at home. Uh, they get a really bad Vanderbilt pass defense. This should really help Jordan cure some ills, maybe get a little momentum. Hopefully Stetson Bennett's arm and shoulder, you won't see him out there, you know, rotating it like you see him warm it up, trying to stretch it out like he was early before the game. Jeff Sentel spotted him coming out earlier than normal, trying to get that shoulder loose. So this could be a game for Georgia to get well going into the bye week get everybody rested up and healthy because really it's a four game season. And then whatever you want to call Georgia tech, you know, just keep your stars healthy and get them out of there. Cause we've seen guys get hurt in that game, a lot of submarine and, and that kind of ugly robbery game, but you're talking about Florida in Jacksonville. That's a designated home game, but it's in Jacksonville this year. You're talking about Tennessee coming to Sanford stadium and then back-to-back -back road trips, really dangerous at Mississippi state. And then at Kentucky, which really laid an egg against Shane Beamer. Happy to see that, though, for Shane Beamer. I know he's a popular guy, used to be on the, the uh, Georgia staff. I think Kentucky could be every bit as difficult and challenging in the month of November, though. I don't, I don't think you just move them aside. I think Mark Stoops is a good coach. I think once Will Levis gets back, that's a different football team. And if they're playing Georgia in November, let me tell you, it can get really cold and there can even be some precipitation that late in November in Lexington. I've been up there for some really, really uh, wicked cold games and, and seen snow on the ground uh, around Lexington that time of year. So 
the good news again, though, George is going to be seven and zero in five more days, and then have a week off. And if you're Kirby Smart, you got to feel pretty good about that, especially if you're able to get Jalen Carter plugged back in. We're waiting and seeing what's going to happen uh, with Kendall Milton, and uh, hopefully Milton will be back uh, after the groin injury. Right now, I want to take our halftime break. When we come back, I'm going to have Jeremy Pruitt with me. But right now, let's take a moment and recognize our sponsor, Ingles. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Sure, we may have some te technical difficulties right now. You got um, me? You hear me? Give me. Not real clear on... Uh... On what's going on with our picture right now we're checking this out you're watching the Eagles on the beach show trying to uh, see what's going on and communicate with my producer michael carvel here not sure uh what we got going on so uh, again georgia playing vanderbilt uh 3 30 p.m game it's not the cbs game obviously it's the uh I think it might be even SEC Network game. Um, not really sure exactly what's going to happen with that game. It'd be pretty interesting. Dogs a 37-point favorite against Vanderbilt on Saturday. So we'll, we'll see what's going on with uh, Michael here with the show. Uh, are we back on connection, Michael? Can't really tell. Uh, I got you, Mike. I think we're back. So, okay. Uh, do we have Jeremy Pruitt with us? I think we do. Coach, welcome to the program. Sorry for the uh, technical difficulties here. I was kind of trying to figure out. It appeared my screen was frozen. Uh, man, I'll tell you what, we had a live weekend of college football. What were some of your takeaways from last weekend's game? Let's start with the with the big one, Texas A&M and Alabama. How were the Aggies able to keep that game so tight? Turnovers. You know, Alabama turns the football over, kept uh, Texas A&M in the, in the ball game, um, you know, and had a chance to win it there. Uh, couldn't ask for a better opportunity from the three-yard line uh, with three seconds left. Uh, so, and, and Alabama come up with a play. Yeah, well, if you turn the ball over, you're not going to win too many games. We know that. And certainly playing without Bryce Young was a big factor in that football game. I think Bryce Young's going to be back for this week's game at Tennessee. I can't wait to talk to you about that. Um, that's going to be a pretty, pretty big ball game. Georgia with an uh, impressive win over Auburn, 42 to 10. Early on, though, some struggles. Georgia with only, what, 14 points at halftime and 25 yards passing. Um, finally getting it going in the second half. Your takeaway from the Bulldogs' victory over Auburn Saturday in Athens? Well, I just feel like they they continue to find a way. I, I listened a little bit to your segment earlier talking about throwing the ball down the field. Um, you know, there was a couple of plays there that Stetson overthrew the ball. Um, but you know what? They're, they're, they're beating Georgia by 35 points. 
Um, and I think it's a little bit like golf. If you kind of start overanalyzing it too much, um, you know, there might be more harm than, uh, than good. I think Georgia's just, um, they continue to, they got so many good players, uh, trying to find everybody a way to get the football. Uh, you kind of set it with a portal and some of that spreading the ball around. I think they're doing a really nice job with that, but, Again, they scored 42 points in an SEC game and dominated a, a, a huge rivalry. Um, you know, it's hard to complain about that. Yeah, Kirby Smart said he's not going to apologize for a 42 to 10 win. And of course, I don't I don't expect him to. But first half, not quite as sharp as we've seen. And, and you know, the way Georgia started the season, coach, with a 49 to 3 win over Oregon, I think. I think the expectations really took off. And then even a couple of weeks later, they play against South Carolina and very impressive road win, 48 to six dominant victory. And it kind of sets the bar. It kind of sets the expectations. And maybe that all wasn't real. You know, sometimes scores can be a little uh, deceiving, right? South Carolina's turnovers had something to do with that. Oregon's turnovers had something to do with that. You play a team that plays a clean game against you, even if it is Kent State, even if it is Missouri, relatively clean, even if it is Auburn early on, only one turnover, um, you know, that can make things a little bit tougher. And I think we're seeing this Georgia team grow up right before our eyes. I mean, if, if you're Kirby Smart, and again, I'm, I'm asking you to play Monday morning quarterback a little bit, but what are some of the things, uh, some of the more promising things that you see for Georgia is they get ready for this stretch drive uh, after the bye week following the Vanderbilt game? Well, I think Georgia has a very talented football roster, right? But they can only play 11 of them at a time. Uh, you look at Auburn's defense, Auburn, Auburn's got a good defense. And, and Georgia did what good teams do. They, they just kept leaning on them, you know. And, and I think that's kind of been a little bit of a trademark since Kirby's been in Athens is um, his teams play complementary football. They play together. Um, and, and they kind of leaned on, uh, leaned on Auburn and, and, uh, you know, if they had played another 15 minutes, that score would have really been ugly. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 he'll go back and look about what they did good this past week, what they need to improve on and they'll address it. Uh, I see a really good football team, one of the top three or four teams in the country. Yeah, well, they're going to have an opportunity to fix a lot of those things against Vanderbilt. You know, this is one of those games I think you get healthy on. I, I want to take a look around the rest of the league, Coach, this this coming weekend. Um, I, I want to start out with the Tennessee-Alabama game. This is a game that has a lot of attention. Obviously, uh, Tennessee red hot after that win at uh, LSU. You called it. You said that could be a runaway. It absolutely was. Alabama surviving AM. First question, though, if, if you're Tennessee – and you don't know which quarterback's going to start. And you've been in this position before as, an, as a uh, national championship defensive coordinator, certainly as a head coach. What do you do when there's two different quarterbacks that you're trying to prepare for and you're not sure which one's going to get the start? Well, uh, you know, it really probably starts to me on third down. Um, you know, if you look, if, if, if Milrow is playing, then you got to have somebody that spies him all the time with his ability to scramble, not that – not that Bryce Young cannot scramble. He does. But when he does, he looks more so to throw the football down the field. I think you start there. Um, <clears throat> definitely how you defend them. Uh, if you probably charted where the balls were thrown this past week or past week and a half, uh, as as opposed to the last, you know, 15 games before, 
uh, what parts of the field. It probably gives you a great idea to, to say, hey, <clears throat> when so-and-so's at quarterback, there's more balls from, you know, eight, eight yards plus. If so-and-so's at quarterback, they may be more from five yards or less. So how you defend them, uh, uh, they'll do some kind of study about uh, how they handle pressure, you know. So, but I think you got to prepare uh, your defense and really stopping the run game because a lot of it's not going to change there when it comes to the run game. Could there be a few more designated runs for one quarterback? Absolutely, as opposed to the other. But uh, I really think you look at it, it's going to be third down and in, in red area. You know, you get in the red area, you got a running quarterback. It's really like wildcat. So um, to me, those are the two biggest differences. Well, it's a game that, you know, the Tennessee-Alabama game, it's a game that's got some carryover, certainly affects Georgia. You know, Tennessee now a factor in the SEC East. You wonder what's going to happen against Bama. That's typically been a loss going back a long time. Um, you know, and that's been tough for Tennessee to have Alabama as an annual opponent. But, you know, you played in that rivalry as a player at Alabama. You coached in that rivalry as a, as a coordinator at Bama and as a head coach at Tennessee. You understand the importance of that rivalry to both schools um, Got to ask you about this particular game, though. You told us at the very beginning of the year that you thought Tennessee was the only team east of the Mississippi River that could score with Alabama and Georgia. And to this point, Tennessee does lead the nation in many offensive categories. Um, you know, what are some of the intricacies, maybe some of the smaller components that you look at that could be keys to this football game in Knoxville when these teams meet on Saturday? Well, I think just looking um, to start with Tennessee on offense, I believe Alabama is going to, number one, say we're not going to let them run the football. Well, to do that, they're going to have to get uh, an extra guy in the box uh, because the runs with Hendon Hooker, it's like playing with Wildcats, so it's going to force them to play one-on-ones. So there'll be a lot of one-on-ones in this game, so the balls will be thrown down the field. Uh, you sent me a stat earlier tonight that I thought was great when you looked at Hendon Hooker's stats for this year throwing uh, 20 plus yard passes. He's nearly 50 percent. Uh, that, that's 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 really really good. Um, so there's going to be a lot of balls down the field. Uh, and the thing that is going to come into play there, Mike, is going to be the officials. How are they going to let them play down the field? You know, Alabama's going to play bump and run. And when they get down there on contested balls, um, you know, on these contested balls, is it going to be incomplete or they're going to be pass interferences? I think the officials could play a pretty big role in this. I also think the Alabama run game is going to be pretty pivotal. I mean, Jameer Gibbs is, is lightning and, you know, Tennessee has had some issues against, uh, against the run at times this year. I think that's going to be integral. See what happens with that Alabama ability to run the ball. If Bryce Young's back and Alabama can run the ball coach. Uh, I got to think that that puts Alabama in a pretty good position. Um, a lot of big games this weekend. You know, I look at, um, Auburn at Old Miss trying to recover from that loss. If you're Brian Harson, you're in that position. I mean, just how tough is it to keep a team engaged when you've lost a few games? You've you've seen both sides of it. You won eight games in a row at Tennessee, and then we saw Tennessee have some issues and lose a few games. How tough is it to keep a team involved when things start to go south? Well, it's the world that we live in now, right? Unfortunately for these guys that you know, they get three to four years to play college football and they're going to have half their season. All they're going to talk about from a media standpoint is who's going to be the next coach. You know, so these guys have got to they've got to block that out. The staff's got to block it out. And um, they got 60 minutes, um, you know, in Oxford to kind of change the narrative a little bit. You know, I feel like 
changing quarterbacks, going with Robbie Ashford. They they found a little bit of juice there. He's got to take care of the football. Too many balls on the ground. Uh, their defense is playing great. Uh, I thought they played great the entire season. They got wore down against Georgia this past Saturday. But offensively, they've got to find a way to get the ball in the end zone. One of the teams George is going to be playing here in a few weeks is the Florida Gators. We saw LSU just kind of come apart at home against Tennessee, uh, Tennessee putting 40 points up. Now Brian Kelly has got to take this banged-up LSU team. I think they're missing two or three offensive linemen to Florida where the Gators are celebrating like crazy because they snapped a six-game losing streak in SEC play. I mean, that's how tough this league is. What do you see happening down there in Gainesville between two programs? Look like they've struggled a little bit to get it together this year. I think an ugly game, Mike. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I really do. It, it, it'll, it, it would be interesting to see how this one turns out. Uh, you look at both teams, the quarterbacks are up and down. Uh, they probably hurt you with their feet as much as they do with their arms. Uh, defensively, I, I mean, I think it's going to come down to who can get turnovers. they got to create short fields for their offenses, uh, and and probably who runs the football the best. You know, this past week, LSU didn't attempt to run the football a whole lot, maybe 13 times uh, in the game against Tennessee. They, they've got to establish the run game. They're not good enough offensively to protect. They've had some guys go down on the offensive line to protect, hold up, and, and move the ball consistently throwing the football. You got Mississippi State, which suddenly looks like another very dangerous opponent for Georgia here in the month of November. The Bulldogs just destroyed Arkansas. Uh, they've gotten hot, you know, since that second half letdown at Baton Rouge, that uh, tough loss to the Tigers. Mississippi State's been on a bit of a roll here, beating AM and beating Arkansas, two good football teams. Now they travel to Kentucky, and this is a curious team to me. I thought Kentucky was was pretty good. I thought they'd go in there to Ole Miss and steal one and probably should have, would have, could have if Levis doesn't turn it over twice inside the 20. Kentucky at home coming off a really disappointing loss to South Carolina against a Mississippi State team right now. Looks like they've got it together with Will Rogers. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that game? Well, it's it's the old rule. You had uh, Mississippi State play Texas A&M, Arkansas. Now they're going on the road in the SEC, the third game's on the road. Uh, it's going to be a tough one to win. Uh, I, I believe that Kentucky will bounce back. They, uh, Coach Stoops has always had a very hard-nosed team. Uh, they find a way to win some ugly games. I look for it to be that way this week. Uh, it's going to be – I'm sure it will be cool up there in Lexington. Uh, so that will be an advantage to Kentucky. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now, we talked about Georgia a little bit, Vanderbilt. I wanted to ask you this because Georgia just had a, a monster recruiting weekend. You know, they only had three SEC home games this year because this there's, you know, the contract for them to play in Jacksonville runs through 2023. Could this be the last time Georgia plays a designated home game against Florida and Jacksonville? I don't know. They say they're waiting to see if there's going to be a nine-game schedule and and uh, everybody's kind of sitting on that decision. Of course, Kirby Smart would like to see that game in Athens um, so that he would have that, the benefit of the extra recruiting weekend. Uh, you know, the president, and the, you know, he kind of answers to the boosters that write the checks. He's kind of caught in between what the head coach wants, what the boosters want, major boosters, it seems. Um, but I wanted to ask you about recruiting weekends in general. And, and I know it's different everywhere and every school kind of has their strategy. I don't want you to necessarily, you know, tell me all the recruiting secrets. But in general, how much does a recruiting weekend change a head coach's schedule? And what are some of the things that are absolute musts when you have those quality recruits on your campus? 
Well, it's it's going to affect the next game. It's, it's not going to affect this last game. So uh, if they've got a lot of guys coming in on, on official visits, then on Sunday the head coach is going to do a lot of meetings with prospects. Instead of cleaning up the last game's film, uh, doing early scouting on the next opponent so they'll be ready to meet on Sunday night or Monday morning. So it's going to put them a little bit behind. So that was one of the things uh, you always wanted to target is who's the next week. If you're going to have a big weekend, who do we play next? Uh, and, you know, I, I hate to say this, but this was probably a great weekend for Georgia to have a lot of people on campus. Yeah. I mean, there's an underlying reality to, to Vanderbilt and Clark Lee and, course you recruited against Vanderbilt you, you again you know you I think you were at MTSU there for a minute you know the culture well um you know I, I didn't plan on asking you this but since we stumbled on to Vanderbilt and that seems to be the only way they come up in football conversation you stumble into it but I mean Derek Mason did a pretty good job they actually beat Tennessee five out of ten years at one point I would have never believed that could possibly happen but what are some of the challenges and if you're Vanderbilt how do you win games when you obviously don't have maybe the same level of talent of some of those other programs around you. Well, I, I think you've got to look at the other institutions across the country that are very high academic wise, and you got to target who you recruit, um, you know, and, and, if, and if you do a great job doing that, which it's been done, you mentioned Derek Mason, he done a fantastic job. Um, it, it was, it was done before um, probably a couple of different coaches over the years had spurts with it. Uh, so they got to do a great job targeting um, who they can get, getting them. And, and um, I think getting some excitement, you know, uh, I know they've just started talking about redoing the facilities there, but they're in a great city in Nashville. Um, so, you know, Vanderbilt can be dangerous. Uh, you know, hey, there, there was a time Vanderbilt beat Georgia, right? I think the year before I coached at Georgia, I think Vanderbilt beat Georgia. Uh, so it can happen. Uh, but it, it's uh, I think Georgia's got enough folks this year. I don't think it'll happen. So if, if you're Kirby Smart right now, and, and again, it, it's fascinating. I didn't realize that as far as putting you behind. But, yeah, you're catching up on cleaning up the things against Auburn. Um, we showed that statistic earlier, uh, Jeremy, about the deep ball and the fact that, you know, while Hendon Hooker is thrown for over 500 yards on passes of over 20 yards, Stetson Bennett and George are a little bit lower, uh, well, quite a bit lower down the chart. Stetson's under 200 yards. And having been a defensive coordinator yourself, um, I've got to think that that's something that, that defenses will study and, and bring guys up. I mean, how do you counteract that, though? And, and you know you've, you've, seen the, you've seen both sides of it. You know what works against your defense is when you're crowding, and you know what doesn't. Um, what are some of the things that Todd Monk can do, can do to maybe scheme or compensate uh, for maybe not having the same perimeter threats. We talked about A.D. Mitchell being out, McConkey having a foot, Pickens. If you don't have those threats on the perimeter and teams are crowding you, what are some of the things you can do to compensate to maybe get some of that space back around the line of scrimmage that the teams seem to be taken away by crowding right now? Well, I think Georgia's doing it. You know, you look Saturday, they missed a couple of deep balls that were there. Um you know, it, I think a lot of it has to do with time. If you run the football really well, you've got to you've got to play almost middle field coverage. You, you've got to get an extra guy in the box. And when you do that, that opens up the outside 
uh, one-on-ones, you know, and you gotta, you gotta find guys that can win one-on-one. Uh, I think Georgia has a really good run game. So they've got good play action off of it. Stetson has a really good arm. Uh, and he's, to me, he's had a history of, of, uh, being very accurate, uh, throwing the ball down the field. Uh, so I, I think Georgia's fine. Um, uh, I think they'll continue to work this next couple of weeks, get people back, get healthy, like you said, in the, in the off week. And, um, They'll they'll probably be clicking in all cylinders when they come back. Yeah, getting those guys back is going to be everything. I mean, once Kirby gets his weapons for that stretch run, and um, I don't know if I got a prediction on it. I know I asked you for some keys on that Tennessee-Alabama game, but uh, I've got to ask you because being an Alabama player at one point, and having coached there with, gosh, with Coach Saban a couple of different stints, and yet you recruited – you know, most of the Tennessee team, including Hendon Hooker, um, that's got to be got going to be kind of some conflicted feelings watching some of the guys you brought in versus your alma mater. How do you think it shakes out? And and what is the sensation of that? Watching so many of the guys that you recruited have this great success. And yet here's Alabama, you know, your your program from long ago uh, competing for a title here. I mean, it's got to be a, a an, an interesting feeling for you this week. Yeah, I tell you what, yesterday I got to laughing. I took my three kids fishing. I got I told my wife it's the third Saturday in October or fixing to be the third Saturday in October, and I'm out here fishing. So I got a kick out of that. But I think it's going to be a great game. Um, I think who plays quarterback for Alabama is going to be a big tail in this game. If if Bryce plays, I think Alabama's got the advantage. If if he doesn't, I think it becomes kind of a toss-up. Now it comes down to execution, right? Uh, controlling the football, who has turnovers. But, uh, you know, it, it to me, I think this is going to be on Tennessee's defense. You know, I believe Tennessee will score points. Uh, they've scored points uh, really ever since Josh Heupel's been there, except for a few games. So I think they'll score points, even though Alabama's got a great defense. I think it's going to come down to can, can Tennessee's defense get some stops? Alabama's going to move the football when the ball gets in the red area. Can they hold them to field goals? Uh, can they get a couple of turnovers? Can they hold them to field goals in the red area? Um, and, and look for the middle eight, the last four minutes of the of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. Who wins the middle eight? I think Tennessee's got to win the middle eight, got to hold them to field goals in the red area, and got to get a few turnovers. Well, that's a great breakdown, Jeremy. I really appreciate you coming on every week. Your insight, like I said, it's invaluable to talk to somebody, been there, done that, and seen it from every which way. I know we're all going to enjoy this weekend of football, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for coming on, Coach. No, thank you, Mike. All right, folks. So that's going to do it tonight for our Angles on the Beach show. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of fun. Don't forget, uh, we have Jeff Santel's show on Wednesday night. Jeff will be on uh, at 7 o'clock. Every day, Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams at 10 a.m. And Friday night, Go With the Flow, where we make our picks against the spread in the SEC. Always fun with Brandon, Connor, and Jeff. Everybody have a great week.